Welcome, welcome, welcome. I would like to welcome you to episode 369 of the Unpopular Podcast. This is the man, the myth, the legend, Jalen Hunter. And here at the Unpopular Podcast, not only ask you to agree with me, I'm asking you to hear me out. Let me start this episode by saying, hopefully, I think I've fixed the audio problem that I've seen the last few episodes. Hopefully, it's fixed. I appreciate everyone that's constantly letting me know, hey, there's an audio problem. I know. I know. Hopefully, it's fixed. Hopefully, I think I think I fixed it. But where I want to start this episode with is a question, a simple question. What is a moral victory? I'm hearing, especially this last week, I've heard that phrase, moral victory. I've heard that a lot this weekend. When we talk about Saturday, when we talk about Sunday, I have heard moral victory a lot more than usual now i don't believe in moral victories i think at the end of the day there's a winner and there's a loser i think that you can take lessons out of losses you can take lessons out of wins but at the end of the day either you won or you lost that's i don't think there's a moral victory lessons i'm not going to say lessons are moral victories they're just lessons and lessons that are learned, again, through wins and through losses. In my quest to figure out what a moral victory is, I also have found it difficult to assess what I'm seeing or what I saw this weekend from two teams. And the first one I'm going to start, and again, like usual, I'm going to break down what we saw week four of the NFL, and I'm going to start with the Denver Broncos beating the Chicago Bears 31 to 28. This was one of the games where you heard moral victory. Now, moral victory is usually, for people that don't know, moral victory is usually a term that is used in in pertain or when it pertains to the loser of a bout of a fight of a of a game instead of saying no you lost they want to say well you the moral victories you played well you fought well you didn't win but it's a moral victory i've never been one to agree again with the whole moral victory stance because again at the end of the day it doesn't say win loss moral victory it just says win or loss Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears. On Sunday, I find myself having to ask myself and answer the question, how am I how do I evaluate a game? How do I evaluate a player's performance? Because what Justin Fields did on Sunday has me perplexed, perplexed. Because do I evaluate the entire game or do I evaluate what happened at the end? Or is it a combination of both? You see, you can look at the score and think the Denver Broncos just beat the Chicago Bears 31 to 28. 
but then you would be doing yourself a disservice if you didn't actually go deeper in and understand why I'm struggling to dissect this game. If you would have looked at the first, let's say, first first three quarters of this NFL game, not only would you think that the Chicago Bears were was a juggernaut of a team, but you would think that Justin Fields was one of the best quarterbacks in football. That's what he looked like the first three quarters. And a lot of the fourth quarter, that's what he looked like. So when I'm looking at the game, and I know I have the backstory, and I have the first three weeks of the season, I know you know, the struggles that the Chicago Bears have gone through. I know the struggles that Justin Fields has gone through this year. And I'm looking at this game. And I'm thinking, yo, this could be the turnaround moment. I understand that the Denver Broncos, they're not the best team either, but this could be a turnaround game. And again, through the first three quarters, Justin Fields looked like the best best player in football. And... Shockingly to me, and as crazy as it sounds, the Bears did something that they have not been able to do all season. And honestly, they really haven't been able to do since Matt Eberflew. Well, they haven't been able to do since Justin Fields came to the team. And that is build a scheme, build a offense, build a game plan around the talents of your best player, which is Justin Fields. They were doing that to perfection on Sunday for the first three quarters. Justin Fields was quick on his reads. He was using his feet. He looked like the prime, well, he looked like the Justin Fields that we thought he was going to look like the majority of his young career so far on Sunday. For the first three quarters. There's a specific reason why I keep saying the first three quarters. And this is where the moral victory talk comes in. When you look at the numbers, man, Justin Fields, 28 for 35, 335 yards, four touchdowns, one interception. DJ Moore, eight receptions, 131 yards, one touchdown. Cole Komet had two touchdowns, 85 yards. Khalil Herbert had 18 carries for 103 yards. This was, If you look just at the stats, this was a dominating performance by the Bears, by Justin Fields. Justin Fields had nearly 350 passing yards. And 25 rushing yards. But the reason why I struggle with dissecting this game is because of that last quarter. 
is because of everything that I literally just said. The the Bears scheming and and building a game plan for this game around their best player and everything working to perfection. The defense even looks better than it's looked. Everything, all the praise that was heaped onto this team and all the, the it, you can just see it. As a fan, you can see the wheels turning and you can see just the, the spark of this team being lit this game for the first three quarters. Everything that I just said went out the window in the fourth quarter. Well, let's say the last three to four possessions of the game. I talked about the score, 31 to 28. I failed to mention that the Bears were up 28 to 7. Nothing was going right. At least, let me say this. The Denver Broncos defense was was rearing its ugly head yet again this game. They were, they were horrible. And this is one of the first times that you looked at this game and said, there's nothing that Russell Wilson can do. Russell Wilson, 223 yards, three touchdowns. He was not the reason that they were down. It was their defense was just porous. I was ready to chalk it up and say that this Denver Broncos team is by far the worst team in football. That's how they were playing. But everything that we saw in the in fact, everything that we've saw, everything that we've seen, I'm sorry, everything that we've seen this entire season for the Chicago Bears manifested itself in that fourth quarter. The, the outlier was the first three quarters. When I say that we've seen flashes of Justin Fields, especially flashes of greatness, I'm talking about what we saw the first three quarters. He's done that a couple times. I know we did that against the, it was in the typhoon, or it was in the uh, monsoon against the 49ers last year. I think he did that against the Bears. Like, I mean, not the Bears, the Patriots. We've seen flashes of what we saw the first three quarters from Justin Fields. But then everything just started, just just came tumbling down. Justin Fields having a a fumble a fumble six. Justin Fields throwing a pick at the end of the game. Them going for it on fourth down. Essentially, pretty much, well, no, they went for it on fourth down, didn't get it, which gave the Denver Broncos short field position. Russell Wilson. Two really good completions for first downs. They get the field goal. They win. Again, the Bears were up 28-7. to seven. I don't know what a moral victory is. I don't, I, don't, I don't believe in moral victories. What I believe in is there's wins and there's losses and there's lessons and losses. I don't know how to assess what we saw from the Chicago Bears team and Justin Fields because everything that we've asked for, 
everything that we have asked from the Chicago Bears, we got the first three quarters. Everything we've seen from the Chicago Bears, we got in that fourth. So do I praise Justin Fields for do I praise Justin Fields for what we saw the first three quarters and say that was a great game? Or do I say, yeah, but when you needed to come up big, when you needed to close, you couldn't do that. Mind you, they also blew a 21-point lead. Now, no, I'm not saying it's all on Justin Fields. This is a Chicago Bears issue, but the, the issue, I will say this. There's been a lot of talk around Justin Fields these last since the season started because nobody really expected the Chicago Bears to be as bad as they are. That's just that's just facts. And I will say that I never expected I said Justin Fields wasn't good. Or that's not let me let me backtrack. Let me backtrack. I'm not saying Justin Fields isn't good. I know I was I had a had a strong critique and a strong I'm not gonna say scathing, but I had a very strong critique of Justin Fields' game, which is true. Justin Fields has been has not been able to see the field as good as you would want him to this late in his career. Which I understand is what, four or five years, probably four years, but you would expect more from a four-year vet at this point. I'm not saying Justin Fields isn't bad. I know that Ryan Clark, or no, Greeny, uh, Mike Greenberg, shouts out to first take or get up, they they pretty much said if Justin Fields was the quarterback of the Atlanta Falcons, the Falcons would be much better, which I agree with. I think that Justin Fields has the talent to be a top-tier quarterback. I just think the things that he needs to work on and the things that have plagued him are still there, which is, of course, his lack of vision in the field, which we saw manifest itself the last play or the last drive of the game for the Bears when, of course, he threw an interception. And it wasn't like a the wide receiver and him just didn't con- – no, he literally just didn't see the defender that was right there. So, shouts out to the Denver Broncos for beating the Bears 31-28. to I don't think this absolves. I, in fact, I look at the Denver Broncos much worse now than I do or than I did before this game because at this point, it's not Russell Wilson's fault. I'm not saying that there isn't blame to, to go to Russell Wilson, but – Russell Wilson is not the biggest issue. I I felt that way going into this game, but when you when the when the defense looks as bad as it looked majority of this game, I don't I'm not saying it's a lost season, but when you go up against better I mean you had 70 putting your head. Think about that. In the in the in a span of two games. In a span of two games, this Denver Broncos team has 98 points put on their head. That's like a basketball score. 98 points put on their head in two games in the NFL. 
This defense is is putrid. But at the end of the day, it came back and won. So shouts out to them. You know, there we saw something that I thought I'd never see on Sunday Night Football. We saw something that I didn't think was possible. We saw Zach Wilson outplay Patrick Mahomes. Never thought that was, never thought in my wildest dreams that we would see Zach Wilson outplay Patrick Mahomes. That's what happened. And sort of the same rhetoric that I just had for Justin Fields is this is what I'm having for this jet or for Zach Wilson. Everything that could go wrong for the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday night went wrong. Travis Kelsey only had six receptions for 60 yards. I don't know how many times a wide receiver dropped a pass from Patrick Mahomes. The offensive line was horrible yet again, which I think is probably going to be the biggest reason why, or I think if they don't make any sudden changes, this Kansas City Chiefs team is is not going to make it to the AFC Championship because of that offensive line. That's how bad that offensive line is. It it doesn't matter. how good Patrick Mahomes is. If that that offensive line with the penalties, the holdings, the foster, it is just bad. Everything that could go wrong for the Kansas City Chiefs did. Patrick Mahomes threw how many? Threw two interceptions. Only threw for 203 yards. He was not having his best game. Zach Wilson, on the other hand, Threw for 245 yards, two touchdowns. He was the quarterback of the game. Let's say that. He wasn't the player of the game. I think the player of the game went to Isaiah Pacheco. I think this is probably the first time in the Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, Kansas City Chiefs tenured that they were pretty much carried by their wide receiver. Isaiah Pacheco, 20 carries for 115 yards, one touchdown. He also has... Three receptions for 43 yards. Isaiah Pacheco is the main reason. Isaiah Pacheco and the the Jets are the main reason why the Kansas City Chiefs beat the Jets 23-20. to Now, you can talk about the officiating. That's that's another conversation, another talk I've heard uh, stemming from this Sunday. You can talk about the officiating, and yes, the officiating was very spotty, especially Sunday Night Football. There was a lot of holes that was missed. There was a lot of questionable calls. I know the holding or the pass interference with Sauce Gardner, that was kind of a bang-bang play. So you can look at that and be like, yeah, I mean, that that is that that is a main reason why they won, which I don't believe so. I mean, at the end of the day, Clock management and smart plays in in preferable positions is what beat is what the Chiefs 
used to beat the Jets. But let me go back to Zach Wilson. While building this show, the hardest thing to do was to try to explain how I viewed both Justin Fields and Zach Wilson. And shouts out to Shannon Sharp. Shouts out to uh, Chad Ochocinco and, and their podcast that they do. I kind of feel the same. Oh, I kind of feel the same way that both of them feel. There is no secret that Zach Wilson probably arguably played his best game he has ever played as a professional football player on Sunday. He had quick reads. He, he made great passes. And honestly, I kind of believe him when he says that if they would have got the ball back, they may have, they possibly would have won or at least tied it up. So I, I, I do think this was the best game I have ever seen Zach Wilson play as a professional player. So, I do understand, like, the, the it's so perplexing. Because <laughs> it's like, what do I do? And again, I agree with both Shannon Sharp and Chad Ochocinco. It's like, I don't want to discredit what we saw the entire game. I don't want to discredit what we saw the entire game for uh, Justin Fields. But I also can't ignore... The fact that Justin Fields did cost them. Some of Justin Fields' decision-making did cost the Bears the game against the Broncos, even being up 21 points. I can't lie and say that the mistakes that Zach Wilson made didn't essentially factor into why the Jets lost, fumbling the ball, or losing the snap. It was a poor snap, but you had it in your hands and it just dropped. Some of the overthrows at the end of the game, it a lot of it was Zach Wilson. And I'm not all putting on Zach Wilson. Obviously, the defense, I mean, there was a lot of penalties that were that were called on the defense in very poor situations. And honestly, the running game didn't do much. Brees Hall, six or six carries for 56 yards. Uh, Dalvin Cook, five carries for 16 yards. Like, you didn't really get much of the, of the running game. You really didn't get much from anybody. Alan Lazard had 61 yards, one touchdown. Garrett Wilson, six, 60 yards, 14 targets, nine receptions. Damn. This was, you know, it was, it was, it was just a, I don't know, man. At the end of the day, I'm not going to absolve, I'm not going to just erase what we saw, majority of the game from Zach Wilson and from Justin Fields, but I'm not also going to absolve them from their, their shortcomings and their shortcomings played a huge part of who won the game. So... And I do kind of want to talk about what we saw out of Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs and how I think we're I think that we're we're way past the point where 
we can honestly think that the greatness of Patrick Mahomes can save this Kansas City Chiefs team. Now, do not hear me say, I'm not saying that Patrick Mahomes isn't great. I still think that Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in football by a wide margin. And I do think that Travis Kelsey, I know he didn't play the first game and he's kind of had a slow start. I think that Travis Kelsey is still the best tight end in football. I think that Andy Reid is still one of the best, if not the best coach in football. But the beauty and the the greatness that is the Kansas City Chiefs is, or has been, that while they have issues, Patrick Mahomes has been, he's been so great that those issues can't, can be absolved by the greatness of Patrick Mahomes. The, the 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 issue with not the issue. The truth about that statement is while yes, the Kansas City Chiefs had issues, they didn't have as many issues and as deep of issues as this Kansas City Chiefs team. Mind you, this is arguably the best defense that Patrick Mahomes has had. This is one of the best defenses in football, the Kansas City Chiefs. I know it's crazy to say, especially with Andy Reid as a coach, but this is one of the best defenses in football. You still have Patrick Mahomes. You still have Travis Kelsey. You still have Andy Reid. But the issues with this offensive line and the lack of The lack of dependability at the wide receiver position outside of their tight end continues to rear its ugly head this season. I know it's still early, but four weeks in, the problems and issues that the Kansas City Chiefs have had have been the same game after game after game. Now, yes, I'm not – Patrick Mahomes just didn't have it. Everyone has a bad game. Jordan's had a bad game. LeBron's had a bad game. Kobe's had a bad game. Steph, every football player that – Tom Brady's had terrible games. Every athlete just has a bad game. It is what it is. So I'm not going to – I'm not thinking – I don't think this is the norm. I don't think that we're going to just we're, – we're going to get used to this Patrick Mahomes. But – a lot of the miscues was because Patrick Mahomes and his wide receivers just didn't seem like they were on the same they were on the same uh same page. Receivers dropping the ball. The offensive line yo, the offensive line had a penalty in the end zone, which caused them to have a safety. Patrick Mahomes was running for his life multiple times. This Kansas City Chiefs team has the opportunity to repeat as champions, repeat as Super Bowl winners. It will not happen if this offensive line does not get it together. If this wide receiver core doesn't, somebody doesn't emerge. Sky Moore, uh, uh, Rashid Rice, Kadarius Tony, Valdez Scantley, somebody needs to 
emerge as the number one receiver. I know that I heard Kansas City Chiefs' name was in because, you know, Chase Claypool and everything that's going on with him and the Bears. Looks like he's about it there. So he may be an option, but this would also be the second team that the ending wasn't as beautiful <laughs> for Chase Claypool. So I don't know. But, yes, I'm not saying that. I'll say this. Patrick Mahomes did have a bad game on Sunday. That's just that's just true. But the issues that the Chiefs have had this entire season or early in this season reared his ugly head yet again on Sunday. And those issues are so deep, so vast, that even the greatness of Patrick Mahomes won't be able to save it if they don't get rectified. I'll just say that. But we'll see. And with all that being said, they still did win. So, shouts out to the Kansas City Chiefs for beating the Jets 23 to 23 to 20. It has to be hard being a New York Jets and Giants fan. But the difficulty is on a is on a slightly different spectrum. I understand that it's difficult being a Jets fan, especially this year, because you had the hopes the the the, the hopes were up here. You know, you you go into the season with Aaron Rodgers, arguably one of the best, not arguably, undoubtedly one of the best quarterbacks in NFL history. You have one of the best defenses in the league. You have, you know, Garrett Wilson. You have Brees Hall. You now have Dalvin Cook. Like, there was such expectations and such high hopes going into the season that were ultimately dashed. And now you have to sit week after week, primetime game after primetime game, and watch them trot out Zach Wilson and and lose games that they arguably that they would arguably otherwise would have won with Aaron Rodgers. I understand that pain. I understand having your hopes as high as Super Bowl and then being dashed as quickly as it was dashed for the New York Jets. For the Giants, that pain is a little different. I don't think there was any type of Super Bowl aspirations going into this season. But going into the season, especially how last season ended, you know, making the playoffs, being the Vikings in the playoffs, ultimately losing uh, to the Eagles, but making a playoff run, Daniel Jones having his best year. It just looked uh, Brian Dayball, I believe, winning coach of the year. It just looked like that there was promise coming into this season. Daniel Jones just got his contract, even though that was a, a, a huge talking point throughout this offseason and, of course, the Saquon Barkley thing. But you still had, you, you know, you brought Saquon Barkley back. You have Daniel Jones. You got Darren Waller. You have Jalen Hyatt. Like, there was, there was a lot of 
there was a lot. I'm not going to say there was high expectations, but there was a lot of uh, excitement going into this New York Giants season. <sighs> Boy, how, how that excitement is out the window. The Giants Monday Night Football lost to the Seahawks 24 to 3. And trust me when I tell you that the score wasn't as close as <laughs> I know it's 21 points, but it wasn't as close as that. It was worse. I think Daniel Jones was sacked 10 times. 10. In that game. Daniel Jones, 27 for 34, 203 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions. One of those interceptions being a pick six, like a 97-yard pick six, by the way. There, there was, I don't, I don't know, man. I'm not... I understand that, you know, the issues that plague the Giants isn't just a Daniel Jones issue. And honestly, while I'm looking at it and while we sit in and while we try to dissect what's wrong with this team, a lot of it isn't Daniel Jones. I don't think the issue is Daniel Jones in a sense of he's the biggest problem. What what the issue with Daniel Jones is he's not a solution. He's when you're getting paid the amount of money that he's getting paid. You're expected to be able to overcome the issues. You see Joe Burrow has for 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 majority actually I think all of his career in this in this NFL in his NFL career he has had a below average to just straight up bad offensive line. And even with that he's made it to a Super Bowl. He's made it to an AFC two AFC championships. Joe Burrow has been able to overcome the issue. Now, of course, they haven't been able to win it all, but his play has been able to overcome the struggles and the holes that this offense, that the Cincinnati Bengals offense has had. Now, yes, I understand that when you have Jamar Chase, when you have T. Higgins, when you have Tyler Boyd, when you have Joe Mixon, that helps a lot. But... Even still, it doesn't matter who you have if you don't have the quarterback to get them the ball. That's why Joe Burrow was able to get the money and and demand the money that he got because he has been able to overcome a lot of those holes. Same thing as Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes has, outside of Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, they really haven't had a dependable wide receiver core. They really haven't had a running game at all outside of now when I say a Pacheco. 
their main back has been Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who doesn't even see the floor or doesn't even see the, the field. But you have Patrick Mahomes, and you pay him as such because he's able to overcome or he's able to make do with what he has. When you pay Daniel Jones the amount of money that you pay him, you expect him to overcome a lot of those problems. The fact that he hasn't, now as an organization, you start looking other places. You start looking at the coach. Well, is Brian Dayball, yo, they, 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 Brian Dayball, they're saying that Brian Dayball has to coach harder, which I do agree to us to an extent. Because again, he did just win Coach of the Year, but I do. You you see now that your quarterback ha, is not able to overcome the, the as bad as this offensive line is. He's not able to overcome that, so you have to find a way to put him in the best situations possible. Whether that's get the ball at his hand quicker, whether that's I understand that Saquon Barkley didn't play on Monday, but you just have to find a way to get the best out of your player, which he has not been able to do. I mean, Darren Waller has been such a non-factor. Darren Waller, who is considered one of the best wide receiver, I mean, uh, tight ends in football, has been a non-factor majority of the season. And as we sit here today, it looks mighty bleak. It looks like the season probably is over for this Giants team. Again, I understand that Saquon Barkley didn't play, but I don't think that there was much that Saquon Barkley would have changed, especially with this offensive line being as bad as it is for the Giants. It's, 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 it's unfortunate. Pat McAfee said this. I think that there's more hope right now. There's more hope right now as a Jets fan than there is a Giants fan because a Jets fan, at least you know that at least next year you have Aaron Rodgers and you still have a great defense. You still have really young players. Like there's there, you see the light at the end of the tunnel. This Giants team, you have that Daniel Jones contract and that Daniel Jones contract affects how this uh offensive line is built which it isn't it's it's arguably one of the worst offensive lines in football if not the worst bro he was sacked 10 times in one game i think the game before he was sacked seven times so in a two game span he was sacked 17 times which i believe is the second most since the nfl merger I know the first one is Daniel or Randall Cunningham. I think he was sacked 20 times in two game span. Daniel Jones was sacked 17 times in two games. Oh, man. It was tough. And I don't really want to talk much about the Seahawks. The Seahawks are a really good team. This defense is incredible. Geno Smith, I know that he did get hurt, but he ultimately finished the game. Um, I guess what I want to touch on briefly is the exchange that uh, Jamal Adams had with the the doctor that pretty much was telling him, "Yo, Jamal Jamal Adams missed like three hundred and something, three hundred eighty days, because he 
hurt himself. I think he had a leg injury. And he was out for the season. So I understand, you know, the want to, the vigor, the frustration as to you fight all the way back. And then I think like the first player, the first drive of the seat of the game, and the and this is your first game back, you get a concussion. And now this independent doctor is telling you, no, you out, bro. You we are we visibly saw him upset and, and going back and forth with the doctor, which I understand. Again, you you fight so hard to get back and then you, your your at least game is cut short because of a concussion. And probably at the time you felt good. But hey, at the end of the day, you have to do what's best for the, the independent doctor is there to be your best friend. Like he cares not your best friend, but he he is there to Keep you safe, even if that means protect you from yourself. Because at the end of the day, every player is going to want to play. But, I mean, when you get up wobbly and shit, like, nah, sit. Sit down, bro. So, I understand the frustration, but I also understand, yo, you just, the doctor's doing his job, bro. He's trying to keep you safe. So, congratulations to the Seahawks for beating the Giants 24-3. to Let's move forward. The game, well, the 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 game that was going to be the game of the week for me was, of course, the Dolphins against the Bills. You had the number one offense going against the number one offense or number two offense. You had, to me, the two, at least early in the season, two of the three MVP favorites. We're going head to head. And you also had a team that just put 70 on somebody's head in the in the Dolphins going against a team that they've struggled mildly with. Well, Tua has struggled mildly with, and that is the Bills. And the Bills beat the Dolphins 48 to 20. Josh Allen looked all of the Josh Allen that we've seen him most of this season, 21 for 25, 320 yards, four touchdowns. Stephon Diggs had six receptions for 120 yards, three touchdowns. When the Bills are playing this way, they are unstoppable. And that is even with uh, Shadarius White going out. I think, he, oh no, he had an ACL tear out for the season. I pray for a speedy recovery. And I pray for him mentally because he had a season-ending injury last year. You, you saw how visibly devastated he was. It's not because, it's not be, just because he got in hurt. It's because he under, you, he knew what happened. When you've dealt with an injury like that before, you you know the feelings. And it's it's tough when people don't really understand. Now, I obviously don't understand. I've never had a serious injury like that. The most I've had is a broken ankle. Um, people don't understand how tough that 
that rehab process is. And people also don't understand there's a difference between rehabbing and training. You can't train when you're rehabbing because that's a different that's a different approach to the off season. So when you already had a season ending injury last year to come back and have a season ending season ending injury again, that's how that's why he just looks so devastated. So not only do I pray for a speedy recovery and I pray for, you know, him to to be back healthy, but I just pray mentally because I understand how tough that can be where you prepare yourself for this season and after missing all of last season and then your season's over. It's tough, so I pray for that, but. When the Bills play like this, when the Bills' offense matches how, or the defense matches how electric and explosive this offense can be, when they're playing like this, this Bills team is not only one of the best teams in football, but it is a Super Bowl caliber team. I know that I talked at nauseum this offseason about the Super Bowl window and how the Super Bowl window closes for every single team. Quite, I mean, as, as much as, as great as he is, the Super Bowl window is going to close for Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs at some point of his career. And I, and I talked about how I feel, especially with this offseason and how loud it was and everything that went on, I wasn't sure that this championship, that this Bills team, I felt that their championship window could have possibly closed. If they continue, if they play like this, with their defense getting interceptions and sacks and as explosive and fast as this defense is, if it if it plays like this, along with, this offense being as explosive as we know it can be, then not only is this this a Super Bowl caliber team. On Sunday, this Bills team looked like the best team in football. I know how much as I, I praised or I've been praising the 49ers or and stuff like that, but this Bills team was the best team in football on Sunday. Hands down. And don't let's not get it twisted. It's not just because of how good they looked. It's also because they played against a team that the Dolphins have looked great this entire season. Tua has looked good. Tyreek Hill has looked good. The running game has looked good. It, everything has looked good. And they looked extremely pedestrian. Tua, 20, 282 yards, one touchdown, one interception. I know there was a couple of fumbles lost. Now, I do, I do. Maybe if there wasn't as many turnovers, because I think the 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 Dolphins turned the ball over like three times, maybe four times. Actually, maybe three times. Maybe that was I don't know. But and I'm not I'm not writing off the Dolphins. I do think that the Dolphins have to figure out the Bills and the Dolphins. If 
it's not this is bigger than just on Sunday, you know. Like they've struggled. Tua has struggled with Josh Allen. That he struggled with the Bills. And I know they're gonna see each other again in in Miami, but if Tua doesn't figure out this bill, this this Buffalo Bills situation, then of course they're they're, they're not. They're, they're gonna continue to run into this problem. But again, the Bills look like the best team in football on Sunday going against the 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 Dolphins, and shouts out to them for beating the Dolphins forty eight to twenty. So. Let's move forward. I know that one thing that we talk about a lot is MVPs. And I just said that the Buffalo Bills and Miami Dolphins game featured, in my opinion, two of the top three MVP candidates, in my opinion, at least this early into the season. I understand, and historically, the MVP has pretty much been a quarterback-driven award. I know I'm not, I'm not negating how important a quarterback is to a team. I know that the quarterback is the most important player on the team and I understand that if it doesn't matter what you do if you don't have a quarterback you don't have I mean your team is you don't got nothing i.e. look at the Jets and I know that I believe the last time the MVP went to somebody other than a quarterback was Adrian Peterson I believe it was in 2009 but Adrian Pearson was the last non-quarterback to win the MVP. And rightfully so. What he did on that Vikings team that season was otherworldly. Let's say that. I did that. I, did, I built it up like that because if there was anybody else, if there was any non-quarterback to win an MVP again, it would be this version of Christian McCaffrey. I understand that, you know, Derrick Henry, there was probably a couple years he arguably could have won. Uh, Justin Jefferson, maybe. Travis Kelsey. I know. But when you look at the, the, the 49ers and you look at how they've won, Brock Purdy has been great. Brock Purdy... On Sunday, they beat the Cardinals 35-16. to Brock Purdy, 283 yards, one touchdown. He was great. But the engine to this offense has been Christian McCaffrey. I think he broke the broke uh, Randy, or no, Jerry Rice's record for most consecutive touchdowns as a, as a, 49er, I believe. He had 20 carries for 106 yards, three touchdowns. That's 5.3 yards a carry. You just sometimes, man, again, I don't think he's going to win it. I think he he definitely should be in contention. But there was multiple times when when Aaron Aaron Donald should have won. He just didn't. But when I'm looking, when I look at this team and I look at just how 
efficient Christian McCaffrey is, you'd be foolish not to have him in the MVP discussion. That's how good Christian McCaffrey has been. And I know that I just said that the Buffalo Bills, at least on Sunday, was the best team. And I talk about I talked about balance last episode or maybe two episodes ago. This 49ers team, at least four games to the season, has been the most balanced. There has been no drop off between or between their offense and their defense. And a lot of that is because of Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey has emerged as the best running back in football. And if he continues to play like this and Brock Purdy continues to play like this, and you don't really need much from a Debo Samuels or a George Kittle or a Brandon Ayuk, this team is the team to beat. And I would be shocked if this team does not make the Super Bowl with how good they've played so far. Again, I know it's four games in, but we can't negate what we're seeing here. We're seeing greatness from this 49ers team and in particular from Christian McCaffrey. Shout out to them. I'm going to say something that's probably blasphemous to a lot of people. And I understand it. It even sounds crazy when I think it. (laughs) We're at a point right now where Joe Burrow has been more of a negative for the Cincinnati Bengals than a positive this season. Where Joe Burrow's presence on the field is hurting the Cincinnati Bengals more than it's helping. We know how good Joe Burrow is, and we we also, I know that there's much conversation with, of course, he just got his his big contract extension, and how how he has not looked anywhere close to a quarterback that deserves that type of money. Joe Burrow had a calf injury, hamstring calf, had a calf injury, in I think the beginning of training camp, which caused him to miss all of training camp, all of the preseason. And he re-aggravated his, that, that injury, I believe, against the, the Ravens. One thing I know about quarterbacks, I understand that, you know, uh, when we think of quarterbacks, all we think of is the upper body and the, the upper, exter- upper exterior of the body, the arms, the shoulders. But it's an entire body thing. Meaning, the feet are just as important as the hands. The calf is just as important as the hips. The The shoulders are just as important as the back. When you're talking about, a, you know, the throwing motion, 
you need your entire body. And that calf injury obviously is hindering and yeah, hindering Joe Burrow, which is ultimately affecting the team. The the Titans, the Tennessee Titans beat the Cincinnati Bengals twenty-seven to three. And what we saw on Sunday with this team, with this game, is what we've seen majority of the season, and that is Joe Burrow being more of a negative because he just can't. I know he's going to fight through it, but he can't explode like he can't throw the ball as explosively as he wants to because he has a calf injury I think there has to be a convert there has to be a legit conversation as to are we going to shut Joe Burrow down because this point in the season you're one in three I'm not saying you can't I understand that you know the Cincinnati Bengals usually with Joe Burrow usually start off slow but when you have the Ravens that are number one in the AFC North, when you have just how good the AFC is, this I'm not going to say it's a lost season, but the last thing you want to do is continue to trot him out, trot Joe Burrow out there and put himself at risk. And then ultimately he hurts himself even more. We've seen, we saw that with Kevin Durant. Had a calf injury. I feel like they rushed him too fast. And then boom, ruptured Achilles. I am not putting that and I'm not saying that Joe Burrow's gonna that's gonna happen to Joe Burrow. What I'm saying is I don't want that to happen to Joe Burrow. A Joe Burrow has been more of a negative for this team than a positive. I mean, you can look and we saw the vintage game from Derrick Henry, twenty two carries for hundred and twenty two yards, one touchdown. The defense looked really good. Um Ryan Tannehill looked okay, 240 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Derrick Henry even had a throwing touchdown. None of that matters. Or all of that, of course, is a reason why the Tennessee Titans has 27 points. But the reason why the Cincinnati Bengals only have three is because Joe Burrow cannot. That calf injury is much worse, or I'm not going to say much worse, affecting him more than we're obviously is obviously me led on to. And we're only saying that because we've seen the best of Joe Burrow. The best of Joe Burrow has gotten this Cincinnati Bengals, this Cincinnati Bengals team to the Super Bowl. And now he looks like a pedestrian at best quarterback. As the organist, as the coach, as the GM, you have to, I think, Decisions are going to have to be made. When do do you think do you decide to shut down Joe Burrow and and, and not risk further more serious injury? Because a blind man can see that that calf injury is largely affecting Joe Burrow. So we'll see. Let's move forward. You know, there was a good conversation that was sparked about this Cowboys beat the Cowboys beat the 
Patriots 38 to 3. And there has been a good conversation that was sparked out of this. First and foremost, I will let, let's just shout out or congratulations to Cowboys for beating the Patriots. Dak Prescott, I think, has thrown four touchdowns this season, uh, which is more than four, which is the same amount of as his special teams. I think this is this was a dominant performance from the Cowboys, especially defensively. Uh, you know, it, it's just been good. Defensively, this is one of the best teams in football. Defensively, that is the Cowboys, and they they just just they just wrecked Mac Jones, man. Mac Jones, twelve for twenty one, uh, one hundred and fifty yards, two interceptions. He was playing so bad they benched him for Bailey Zappi. Bailey Zappi ain't do much either. Four for nine, fifty seven yards. I think we have to be honest about what we've seen and question what we've seen out of Bill Belichick. I'm not, let's let's not get this confused. I don't think that Tom Brady has made Bill Belichick. I don't think that at all. But when we talk about Bill Belichick, It's it's pretty much universal that he's the best coach in football. Or he's one of, if not the greatest coach in football history, NFL history. I think the conversation is, well, if that's the case, why has the New England Patriots looked so awful since Tom Brady left? Now, again, I'm not saying that Bill Belichick or Tom Brady made Bill Belichick. I do think that Tom Brady was extremely beneficial for Bill Belichick, and Bill Belichick was extremely beneficial for Tom Brady. But since losing Tom Brady, I don't believe. I think the Patriots made the playoffs once, maybe. This pit, and we know about the whole offensive coordinator debacle last season. And we know that Bill Belichick has been historically awful when it comes to the draft. I mean, we talk about Tom Brady. They got Tom Brady in the sixth round. That means they passed up on him multiple times. I do think that there has to be an open discussion about is Bill Belichick, I'm not going to say is he a great coach. Let me say this. I do think that Bill Belichick does have the resume and does have the history that you know that solidifies his coaching but i do think in the recent his in recent and in, in recent times he has not been good at all this patriots team is god awful this patriots team is by far in my opinion the worst team in the afc west no afc north afc east east i'm sorry afc east Mac Jones has looked like he's regressed or it looks like he regresses week after week. The defense ain't that good. I think the conversation 
needs to start kicking up. And if you want to have that conversation, you can. Let's just say that. So, But shout out to the Cowboys for beating the Patriots 38-3. Um, let's move forward. Congratulations to the Houston Texans for being the Patriots 30-6. to I really like what I've seen out of the Houston Texans this year. I love C.J. Stroud. He, to me, is the front runner, at least early in the season, for Offensive Rookie of the Year. Uh, he has been incredible, and it just it just feels like D'Amico Ryans, as a first-year coach, he's been great. It just feels like we're starting to look at the Houston Texans differently. We're starting to look at the Houston Texans as a serious team. I still think that there are major holes in this team, but... I like what I'm seeing out of this Texans team. And I like what I'm hearing out of C.J. Stroud. And this defense has been incredible all year. I know they're 2-2, two and two, but they've been great all year, this defense. Um, it's just been good, man. I really like I – like, I like this team. I like this team. Nico Collins had 168 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, C.J. Stroud threw for 306, two touchdowns. It just – I like what I'm seeing out of this Houston Texans team, and they have been in C.J. Stroud again. To me, is a front runner for Offensive Rookie of the Year right now. He has been great, and because of how they're playing, and because of how hard they play, and because of how good defensively they've been, and because of how good D'Amico Ryan seems to connect with his players, and and how good of a coaching job he's been, we're starting to turn the corner and look at the Houston Texans differently. And they have they 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 deserve all of it. Shouts out to them for beating the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know the the the, the, the and going to the Pittsburgh Steelers side, the saying is never be too late for change or never be too late to change. Because sometimes when you're too late to change, you're just too late. This Pittsburgh Steelers team is is at least offensively is horrible. Every single person on this offense has regressed. And I'm not saying in fact, when that happens, it can't be the people. It can't be all of the running backs, all of the wide receivers, all and the quarterback. It can't just be them. Every single person on this offense has regressed. And everyone knows what it is. It's Matt Canada and his lack of elevation as a offensive coordinator. The Pittsburgh Steelers have one of, if not the worst offense in football because of Matt. Now, again, I don't know if you guys remember, but this is also this. This is the same team where I had such high hopes for because of how good they looked in the preseason. But that right there shows you just how different the preseason is to the regular season. 
Matt Canada has been this off this Pittsburgh Steelers offense has been horrible. And you're gonna look up. Cause it doesn't I know Pittsburgh is notorious in not making coaching changes mid season. You're gonna look up and this is going to be such a lost season. And this might be the first year if this offense continues to be as inept as it is, this might be the first year that Mike Tomlin finishes the year with a uh, below 500 record. I understand. I know I said that the Pittsburgh Steelers can be a sleeper, but I'm, there's no way that you can look at what you're looking at this offense and think to yourself, oh, there, there's, a, there's a turnaround happening. That Canada has been horrible. Now, I don't like to put it on the coaches a lot because I have the philosophy that the coaches don't play, the the players play, but that's been true. Matt Canada and his elementary schemes has not worked. And if you're too late to change, then you're literally just too late. And you're going to look up, and not only will this be a lost season, which is starting to look like already, this will be Mike Tomlin's first year as a head coach with a with a record below 500. So, we'll see. Hey man, shouts out to the Toy Story game, man. I I didn't know uh, you know what stuff like that happens, like stuff like the Toy Story, the you know, the Jaguars played the Falcons in London. The Jaguars won twenty three to seven, but of course that was a regular game, and they simulcast the game with Toy Story. It, it, it was, it was they. I don't know how the hell they did it, but it was incredible how they did it. The it was like play by play, everything that was happening in real time happened just as you know Toy Story animations. Man, it was great. It was incredible to watch, and it really it. The thing that kind of shocked me about it is how much of a hit it was to like adults. I understand, you know, kids. It was great, and it was a, it was a, you saw a bunch of videos on social media of you know adults watching the adult version and kids watching the kid version, and and it was just it was just cool to see. But what shocked me is how how much of a hit it was with adults. Man, it was it was crazy to see. Shouts out to everyone that was a part of. I know. Uh, his name Drew Carter. He or Drew Drew something. He was one of the commentators on Booker McFarlane. It was great. It was really cool, man. Um, yeah, it was cool. Uh, to see just I don't know how the hell they did that, man. But it was it was incredible. Uh, I hope they. I know like every year they kind of do a theme around that. I know Nickelodeon does a lot around the uh, Super Bowl and stuff. So. I do see that they're trying to tap into the kids' dynamic and the kid, you know, the kid realm. So I think they they, they knocked it out the park, man. Shouts out to them. And for the game, uh, I I think this has more to say about the Falcons than it does the Jaguars. The Jaguars did what they were supposed to do. Trevor Lawrence came in, was arguably the best player on the field, uh, and. It, they they were incredible. Calvin really caught a touchdown. Uh, it was they they did what they were supposed to do. But this this to me is more on the Falcons. And 
I, I started the top. I started this show talking about obviously Justin Fields and the quote that Mike Greeny said, or Mike Greenberg of ESPN said, was if if Justin Fields was the quarterback of the Atlanta Falcons, the Atlanta Falcons would be much better position, and everyone agreed with him, including myself. Patience is an interesting thing in football. And with patience, see, people think that your team just has patience or that team just has patience. That's not always the case. There has to come, there has to be something that comes with patience. And that thing is progression. You can keep, you can progress. Or you can be patient, but there has to be progression in the patience. You can't just be patient, waiting and hoping for something to change. It's not, and you're saying absolutely no evidence of it changing. That that means patience turns into frustration and impatience. This Atlanta Falcons team is young. It's also very talented. When you see the name like B. John Robinson and and Jonu Smith and Drake London and Kyle Pitts, this is a young team. This is a good team. And you can be patient with a quarterback if you see progression. If you don't see progression, there's no point of being patient. And I think that's what we're seeing. And and another thing that I know is sometimes the team can have less patience in the front office. And sometimes the team can have less patience than the 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 fan base. You see, Desmond Ritter, no one thought that Desmond Ritter was going to be that quarterback to take them to new heights. But what they thought was Desmond Ritter could be the next franchise quarterback. He has not looked like that. He threw kind of like what um kind of like what he, what Daniel Jones did. He threw a mean and a terrible pick six. Which in fact, I think that's it right there. Which essentially ended like doomed them. We've been heaping praise about this Atlanta Falcons team uh, being two and two and the NFC South being wide open. But a lot of the praise that's being heaped on this team is mainly because of Bijan Robinson and just how advanced of, as a running back that he looks. Desmond Ridgers had his moments, but. He hasn't had enough moments to think that this team is going to be okay. In fact, he's had more moments like we saw on Sunday in London than he has good moments to the point where his wide receiver, I mean, you saw one wide receiver, damn near about to, I think Mike Hollins, damn near about to steal off on cuz. Drake London looks, to, to, like, he just looks d- detached because it's just like, you know, I understand, you know, uh, this can all be, 
again, they're two and two, so it's not like they're terrible. And again, I, I do want to emphasize with even with all this, it's still four games in. But four games in, your season can be on the line like quickly. So we'll see. But shouts out to the Jaguars for uh, beating the Falcons twenty three to seven. Oh man. Um I think as a as a coach, you have to do what's best for the team. And you have to put your team in the best position to win. I'm looking at Frank Reich and I'm looking at this Panthers team. We understand that. Young quarterbacks usually go through go through ebbs and flows, especially in their first season. You know, they're they're learning how to be an NFL player. And for some reason, I don't understand why the Panthers continue to emphasize throwing the ball. It has not been good for this team. The Panthers lost to the Minnesota Vikings 21 to 13. A lot of it was because Bryce Young was not good. Now again, I'm not it's not all on Bryce Young, but I don't when you have Miles Sanders, when you have Chuba Hubbard, why do both of them combined have 27 rushes? When you have a young quarterback that is still trying to understand and learn how to be a young quarter or how to be a quarterback in the NFL. And now you look up, your season's pretty much over. You're owing. I'm not actually, your season's not over because of how weak the NFC South is. But if it was in a better conference, your season would be over. And this Panthers team is good. When we talk about defensively, you still have Burns. You still, like, this has good players. But Bryce Young fumbled the ball and lost it. Terrence Marshall fumbled the ball. He didn't lose it, but it's just, I don't understand how you can continuously see your quarterback struggle and think that throwing the ball 32 times is the smart thing to do and running the ball 27 times with, when you have Miles Sanders and Truba Hubbard and Miles Sanders was a big get for you in the off season. So it's just, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, this is yet another game where Justin Jefferson went crazy, had 60 or no, uh, 85 yards for two touchdowns, did the whole two small thing on it. You know, Kirk Cousins, typical Kirk Cousins game, two touchdowns, two interceptions, 139 yards. It's just I don't feel like the coaching staff has put the Panthers. I'm not saying the Panthers are going to start winning games if you stop throwing the ball less, but I do feel that. You're going to be in more games and you're still Bryce Young is still able to learn more if you start throwing the ball more or start running the ball more and throwing less. That's just me, though. That's just me. I could be wrong. Uh, Shouts out to uh, (laughs) let's move on. Shouts out to Baltimore for beating the Browns 28 to three. A lot of people are saying the only reasons why the Ravens won 
And this is, of course, coming off of their their loss to the Colts. A lot of people saying the only reason why the Ravens won is because Deshaun Watson didn't play. Like Deshaun Watson was really going to put up 25 more points. We've seen Deshaun Watson this year. He don't look like a player that's just going to put up 25, at least this point right now. Uh, but Lamar, Lamar Jackson was good. I think Lamar Jackson's completing like 70-plus percent of his passes. Like That's not really being talked about. He had two touchdowns, one beautiful touchdown to Mark Andrews uh, at the corner of the end zone over like three or four people. Lamar Jackson has been good. Now, this offense has been slow. And this offense it with, you know, the new offensive coordinator and a lot of the players like Odell Beckham Jr., he's been out and Rashad Bateman, he's been out. It's It's been it's been a slow grind. But I I am starting to see the wheels churning. I'm starting to see Lamar Jackson. You know, Zay Flowers, he had 56 reception yards. Mark Andrews had 80. Like, I'm starting to see the wheels turning. And I'm starting to see what this team can look like when they get back Odell Beckham Jr., when they get back Bateman, when they get, you know, uh, when they get their players back. I'm starting to see what this because Roquan Smith has been incredible. Um Patrick Queen has been great. Uh, oh, what's his name? What's his name? Why am I why am I blanking on his name? Jadavion Clowney has been really good with his pressures that he had on the quarterback. This team, again, this is I'm starting to see the team that I think or that I thought at least going to the season could be a Super Bowl caliber team. Again, I, I you can go back and look at the tape. I picked the Ravens to win the Super Bowl. A lot of that was due to health, and hopefully they get healthy. But I'm starting to see, you know, the 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 team that I thought could be good enough to win a Super Bowl. Again, you're going against the best defense in football, at least for rushing or for the rushing, or the best rushing defense in football, and you're arguably the best rushing team in football as far as what you what you want to do going into the game. Uh, so I don't think. Le- Deshaun Watson probably would have put more than three points on the board, but I do think that I don't think Lamar or Deshaun Watson was not playing was the biggest reason why the Ravens won. So shouts out to the Ravens for beating the Browns. Um, Shouts out to Khalil Mack, man, Uh, the Chargers beating the the Raiders 24 to 17. This is yet another week where. An inept quarterback or an inept team is the reason why Brandon Staley has a job. Uh, Brandon Staley did that dumb at, oh, I'm sorry, did that dumb stuff again where he goes for it on fourth down for no and, and gives the Raiders short field advantage. Uh, the Raiders they 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 had Aaron O'Connell or Aiden O'Connell because Jimmy G was or is in concussion protocol. Aiden didn't look good. I know he's a rookie, so I don't I don't know why they tried him out there, but it is what it is. Again, Justin Justin Herbert, I know he fractured his finger on his non-throwing hand. He he didn't look that good. He 167 yards. This was a this was a defensive game, man. Shouts out to Khalil Mack. I think he had six six sacks, which is I think one off from the record uh for a single game. He was incredible. And it's just yet another situation where you look at that Raiders. Yo, I'm trying to tell you. I would be 
shocked if you you look up and at the trade deadline or after the trade deadline, Dan, uh, Devontae Adams is still on this Raiders team. I just think that the writing's on the wall for, especially when you see the comments or hear the comments that Deshaun or D. Devontae Adams said last week, I just think that it's it might be a little bit over for them <laughs> in that relationship, especially a team that's one in three. And with a player as good as that, he wants to win. I get it. So, But shouts out to the Chargers. Uh, I, I'm still, again, I just don't like what I'm seeing out of this Chargers team, man. I know that. I just don't like it, man. I don't, I don't, this team, again, with the roster that they have, this team should be much better than two and two. And this team, and they they look all of two and two. There's some teams that don't look like they should be four and zero. That don't look like they should be zero and four. This team looks like they should be two. In fact, this team has looked worse than two and two. And that's I just don't like it. So, but shouts out to them for beating the Raiders. Um, I hope Justin Herbert is cool. Uh, I know that the, he's not really expected to miss time, but he did, like I said, fracture his finger. So we'll see. Uh, kind of like um, shouts out to the Buc- Buccaneers for beating the Saints twenty six to nine. Kind of like Joe Burrow, D- yo, <laughs> Derek Carr was more of a hindrance to this team than than anything on Sunday. I know Derek Carr. I think he sprained his UCL or something like that, or sprained his his throwing shoulder, and for the longest they didn't expect him to play, but. He played, and he was awful. Uh, Alvin Kamara, first game back, 11 carries for 51 yards. This game was lost because Derek Carr wasn't able to match the 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 offensive output that Baker Mayfield was, and I think that he arguably could have done that if he was healthy, but he wasn't. So, and shouts out to Baker Mayfield, 246 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. I just think the NFC – the NFC South is up for grabs. I know that this the Buccaneers are three and one, but I think everyone is expecting uh the left shoe to fall for the for the Bucks. Uh but we'll see. But shouts out to them for winning. Um also shouts out to shouts out to Puka Natua, man, and the Rams for beating the Colts twenty nine to twenty three. I do, you know, Puka Nakua, bruh. Nine receptions for 163 yards, one touchdown. He's a rookie. He's been great. He's been a great story. They talk about his family and everything. He has been good, and he has been the best player on this team. And I'm I'm starting to look at this team is going to be at least offensively. Now, the offensive line is not that good. Let's be real. But this team is going to look really interesting um, when they get Cooper Cup back. Because, yes, you still have Van Jones, you have Tutu Atwell, you still have Tyler Higby, who just signed an extension, so shout out to that. This team is going to be good, even though, and shout out to the Colts. Uh, they were dead to rights. They were getting destroyed. But Anthony Richardson came up and, and was big. Two touchdowns, Pauls. <laughs> Two touchdowns, 200 yards. Um, he also carried, rushed for 56 yards, one touchdown. He was great. He came all the way back, and it was, uh, again, Puka Nakua, the, he, he won in overtime. They were down, what, 
23. They were down 20, 23 to 0, I think. And the Indianapolis Colts scored 15 points in the fir- in the fourth quarter alone. So, shouts out to them and shouts out to the to Rams for ultimately beating them. So, the last game I'm going to discuss is Washington losing to the Eagles uh 31 to 34. Sam Howell played really good, two two hundred and ninety yards, one touchdown. Brandon Robinson played good, four forty five yards, one touchdown. Terry McLaurin eighty six yards. You know, you know. Uh, the Eagles, Jalen Hurts three hundred and nineteen yards, two touchdowns. AJ Brown one hundred and seventy five yards, two touchdowns. I said this before, and I'll say it again. The co- the job of a head coach is to put your team in the best position to win. And Washington was playing incredible. Now, I think they were up 10 points. And it was just multiple times and multiple situations where Washington should have done something and they didn't. Now their defense, as great as this defense is, the defense let them down. All aspects, even the defensive front line, the the you know, the linebackers, the defensive backs, every single person on the defense. And and I like the defense. You know that's that's the calling card. The Washington's defense was terrible, giving up thirty four points. It was bad. But. Riverboat Ron. You tie the game or you score a touchdown. The score is 30 to 31. Last play of the game. Meaning you can either go for two or go for one. If you go for one, tie it up. All game, you've been getting torched by Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown. And we know Ron Rivera for being a coach to go all or nothing, which has burned him a couple times, but also helped him a lot of times. Why not go for it to win the game instead of you trust a defense that's been getting torched all not all day? Man. You trust a defense that's been getting you trust a defense to get a stop that's been getting torched all day. Sam Howell had the drive of his life. Yeah, man, it's been tough. 
Shouts out to the Eagles, man. That's let's let's move on to let's move on. Uh, let's let's get off of basketball. All right, let's get off of football and talk a little bit of basketball. Um, the NBA, the media media days back. We'll talk about that in a second. But another aspect to the Dame Lillard trade was Drew Holiday getting traded to the. Portland Trailblazers. Well, the Portland Trailblazers then trade him to the Boston Celtics, which prompts the question, who should be the favorite, at least in the Celtics? You have the Milwaukee Bucks with Damian Lillard and and, uh, Giannis Tetacumpo and Chris Middleton. You also have the Boston Celtics with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Drew Holiday and Christos Porzingis. You have the Philadelphia 76ers with Joel Embiid, at least right now, James Harden, Tyrese Maxey. To me, it is a three-team race. No, it's not. I'm sorry. It's a two-team race. Because if you look, there is not another team in the Eastern Conference that's even close. I mean, you can argue the... The Knicks, especially when you look at what they did last year, but even what they did last year, they they ultimately lost. Cleveland Cavaliers have Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland, but they just don't have enough offensive firepower in their back court or front court. Nobody ever thinks that the Bulls are going to get it together. And the Miami Heat, uh, the Miami Heat. They lost uh, a lot of key pieces like Gabe Vincent and Max Struess. And they really put all their cards in the Damian Lillard basket, which obviously didn't work out. Um, I think it's a two-team race, man. And I'm, I want to say that the Boston Celtics are the favorites now with Drew Holiday because Drew Holiday, he pretty much replaces Marcus Smart as uh, – a great defender that can also hit shots. We know how good Marcus Smart can be. Um, and I think Drew Holiday, he was one of the best pick-and-roll players, defensive pick-and-roll players. He's also one of the better scoring pick-and-roll players uh, in the NBA last year. We we know how good they are, or we know how good Drew Holiday is. And I do, th- do think that Drew Holiday, now the Bucks or the Celtics had to give up Robert Williams and Malcolm Brogdon. I think Robert giving up Robert Williams is big. Now, I understand that Robert Williams has struggled, you know, to stay on the court due to, of course, injuries and everything. But getting Robert Williams, I do think, or giving up Robert Williams puts a lot of pressure, and you gave up Grant Williams, remember that, puts a lot of pressure on Kristaps Porzingis and Al Horford uh, in the in the front court, but I do think that on paper the Boston Celtics should be the favorites. But at the end of the day, it's all about Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum has the ball the most on this team. Jason Tatum finds himself playing point guard a lot more times than he really should. If Jason Tatum does not make that leap, then they aren't. It's hard for me to consider them a champion, or it's hard for me to consider them a favorite. They can be a cha- They're always going to be a championship contender with Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and now Drew Holiday. But it's it's all about Jason Tatum. If Jason Tatum makes that leap, then they're obviously super or NBA champion 
chip favorites. But not to mention, I do think that defensively they need because last year they took a big step back defensively. Um, I think Drew Holiday, if they're able to get back to their defensive level that they played what, two years ago when they ultimately made it to the NBA Finals, I think that this team, especially with Drew Holiday, is should be a championship or should be a championship favorite. It's just, it's, it's really, if Jason Tatum does not make that leap as far as, you know, assisting and, and ball handling and, well, not ball handling, he has a good handle, assisting and, and half court offense more consistent, especially you know scoring shooting half court or half court shooting half you know half court offenses. I, I don't know, but I do think that right now is a two team race in the in the East again the Celtics and the Bucks. Uh, I do the only reason why I'll give the Celtics a slight edge is because defensively what they can be and. Especially at the perimeter, and the Bucks, they, Damon and Giannis is going to be a dynamic duo. But off defensively, you're putting a lot of pressure on Giannis because Damon Lillard doesn't play that good a defense. So we'll see. But that that is it is an arms race in the East, man. To me, the, the people feel like the East is up for grabs. There's a lot of talent in the East. I mean the. We need to see what the Brooklyn Nets look like with Mikel, Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, and Ben Simmons. Uh, Toronto are they gonna are they gonna blow it up finally? Tyrese Halliburton for the Pacers. Like this, there is this is an arms race, and there's this to me going into the season. There's more parity than ever. I don't know who's going to win. And that kind of brings me to the next topic, which is the NBA media day, which is pretty much the start of the NBA season or the, the start of the NBA season festivities before, you know, training camps and everything. This it's wide open, man. I can see a pathway that, you know, the Celtics could win. The Bucks could win. The heat could win the Denver nuggets. Um, every, the Golden State Warriors, the Clippers, the Lakers, the Suns, the Kings, the the people. I completely forgot that Kyrie Irving was on the Ma- Mavericks, the Grizzlies, because we need to see what they look like when John Morant gets back from that suspension. Is Zion Williamson, because people forget the Pelicans were one of the best teams in basketball when Zion Williamson was playing. Is he going to be able to stay healthy? Like there, there is so much parity in the NBA and and the NBA feels that they know that. So you see people like Boston giving up a Robert Williams and a and a Malcolm Brogdon just a year after getting Malcolm Brogdon because they understand that getting Drew Holiday can definitely change their fortunes. This is going to be an interesting year, man. Very 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 interesting year for the NBA. And I'm excited. I'm I'm truly truly excited, honestly. So we'll see. Uh, I wanted to say, also, let's move forward. I also want to say congratulations and shout out to Canelo Alvarez for beating Jamel Carlo. Uh, I think it was a unanimous decision. There's just levels to it, man. <laughs> There's levels to it. And Canelo Alvarez is considered one of the greatest boxers ever and definitely one of the faces of boxing right now. To me, it's it's, it's really hard 
to pick anyone else outside of Canelo Alvarez and maybe Bud Crawford. Uh, Jamel Carlo or the Carlo twins, I just don't think that they're they're good. Don't get me wrong. But the highlights that the Charlo twins have, <laughs> the last few highlights is losing to Canelo Alvarez and getting slapped backstage by, uh, I forgot the dude's name. That's what the Charlo brothers have been doing so far. Uh, now, I'm not disrespecting them uh, at all, but yeah, man. And now you're hearing J- J- Jamel Carlo called out Bud Crawford. If you can't beat Canelo, I don't know what you think you're finna do. With. I know that he had to go up, what, 15, 15 pounds or something. I know that that definitely, it, it, it affects how you fight and it affects just your speed and everything i get that and you get tired fast i understand that so he'll probably look much different he's still undisputed at his weight class uh that is jamel jamel carlo but i just after what i saw from bud and spence i don't i don't know if that's a a, a tree you want to bark up my guy but shouts out to canelo alvarez for beating uh jamel carlo and also shouts out to Aaliyah Boston for being the fifth player in WNBA history to win the win WNBA Rookie of the Year unanimously. She joins a list of Asia Wilson, Elena Deladon, Tina Charles, and Candace Parker. Again, there really wasn't much of a debate of who this should be. Um, she's been great. So... I'm not surprised that she won and shouts out. You know, I think that the fear in the it is hard to succeed in the WNBA just seeing as how many or the lack of players and the lack of spaces they have. So there's really a short leash in in when we talk about, you know, the the amount of time you get to develop and the amount of time that you get to show off your skills. Well, I'm happy that, you know, Aaliyah Boston has has came out the gate firing and she has been not just one of the best rookie or not just the best rookie in the WNBA but she's been one of the best players in the WNBA all season so shouts out to her for winning the you winning the rookie of the year unanimously much much deserved and yeah man we'll talk about the WNBA finals a prediction and we'll break it down on Saturday's episode uh because I'm excited about that because the game first game is on Sunday. So we'll talk about that. But there you have it. That has been today's episode of the Unpopular Podcast. I truly, truly appreciate you guys. If you want a Unpopular Podcast shirt, hoodie, sweater, long sleeve joggers, the link is in the description below. Add multiple different colors, multiple different designs. Get your Unpopular Podcast merch today. Also, subscribe to the YouTube channel. I'm trying to grow as big as I can. Pause. Uh, the YouTube channel and everything helps. I appreciate everyone that continue to support and work work with me and, and allow me to work through the audio issues. Uh, it definitely means a lot. I think I fixed it. Uh, so, you know, I, I kind of pride myself on trying to give the best quality. And that obviously wasn't it. So I appreciate you guys for supporting me. But continue to subscribe. Tell a friend to tell a friend to subscribe. Definitely means a lot. Also, follow the socials. Follow Instagram. Follow TikTok. I post pretty much daily. If I don't post something, I'm communicating with someone. I post on the story. Daily, you'll get content from on the socials that you may or may not get on the YouTube. So uh, definitely follow those as well. 
And until next time, much love.